men in the church who are doing it, women in the church as well, who are abusing their partners. First, we have to hold them accountable. Then we have to know what the Bible says in itself about marriage and abuse, right? So you have to know the scripture for yourself. And then it's important to connect with like-minded people who understand domestic violence and who will use scriptures to offer you hope and healing and encouragement um, that you can get out and that God is with you and using faith as a positive and coping strategy that we know it to be. And you know, all of my participants use prayer. They use a relationship with Christ. They use the Bible to say, God gave me hope to lead. You know, God gave me my relationship with Christ, inspired me to know that he was gonna pull me through this, right? And provide the scriptures as a source of empowerment and hope and healing versus something to keep us in bondage. Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, culture, and mental health, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from a clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 51. This podcast episode is brought to you by UHSM HealthShare, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current healthcare, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.uhsm.com. UHSM.com. Hi, friends. So glad you're joining us back for another episode on the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. Today, we're diving into a very important and vital conversation around the intersection of faith, domestic abuse, or domestic violence, and mental health. Uh, domestic abuse is one of those things that a lot of people actually experience more often than we may realize, whether that is being a, a victim of domestic abuse or just being a witness of domestic abuse in the home and the implications and effects that have on us in the future. So today I had the honor of having a special guest and someone I consider a friend and that's Dr. Shanita Brown. She is a board certified licensed professional counselor, speaker, adjunct professor, and trainer that fosters transformative and empowering dialogue about various forms of intimate partner violence. So today we're giving an overview of what domestic abuse and what domestic violence is, including terminology to be able to identify these situations more clearly and, and to be clear when we're talking about abuse, we're not only talking about physical abuse, that's kind of the very obvious one, but we're also talking about sexual abuse, uh, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse and manipulation that often keeps people stuck. We're talking about the critical role that faith plays for women experiencing domestic violence. I really wanted to dedicate this space to calling out some of the religious stigmas and ideologies that can often lead to more harm than help that keeps victims trapped. 
And we're also diving into being a child of witnessing domestic abuse in the home and how that environment can prime children to re-enter familiar abusive situations later on in life, whether that's in a partnership or in an institution or whatever the situation may be where there are various forms of abuse taking place and there's this pull towards what's familiar. And we're talking about how pastors, ministers, and loved ones can be a safe space of support, of emotional support as it relates to domestic violence, as well as some steps and resources that one can take who may be in this situation and may be feeling uh, afraid to leave or shameful and worried about being judged when it comes to talking about their situation. So this is a sensitive topic. And as you can see, we really wanted to do a deep dive into all the factors that are at play. And Dr. Shanita Brown, she has over 15 years of experience in the clinical mental health field. She's a servant leader dedicated to breaking the silence and empowering change, particularly within faith communities. And just so you know more about her background, she has extensive work in intimate partner violence, including service with the North Carolina Domestic Violence Task Force and Board of Directors for the North Carolina Coalition Against Sexual Assault. She's traveled throughout the country providing educational workshops and presentations to diverse audiences, including mental health professionals, advocates and leaders, faith communities, and professional athletic organizations. And she's also authored scholarly articles and been a guest on several podcasts and radio shows, just really bringing awareness to this conversation. And what I love is that she can also bring awareness to this conversation being faith-informed. So I think that this is going to be a super informational and insightful conversation, whether or not you've experienced or had an experience with domestic abuse as far as being there for those as well who have experienced this, are experiencing it, are coming out of it. I encourage you to listen to the whole thing or share it with someone who you think might find it helpful. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Shanita Brown on the intersection of faith, domestic abuse, and mental health. Um, I am so excited to have Dr. Brown here on the podcast today. I just feel like she's like a friend, a virtual friend, just across the, I don't know, Instagram verse. So thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Brittany. I'm I'm doing fine. I am so humbled and honored to be here. I feel like we have known each other and I think it's due because of our kindred spirits and our yeah. work, our love for Christ and um, you know, raising awareness for mental health, especially in the faith community. Yes, that's the word. Kindred spirits. That's exactly what I've been feeling. And I love the work that you've been doing around faith and mental health and domestic violence. And as I was telling you earlier, uh, this is not something that we've really had a conversation about um, around domestic violence and really defining it and its impact, even though it's something that happens more commonly than we think um, in people's lives. So I'm really, I'm really glad that we're going to really peel back the layers on that today. But for those who are just getting to know you, could you tell us more about your counseling, teaching, consulting, and ministry background that led you to the work that you're doing today? Yes, thank you for asking, Brittany, and and I'm either what you're doing again. I almost said, Dr. Brittany. <laughs> so we're gonna we're speak out of existence, we're right? On it. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, my name is Dr. Shanita Brown, as you mentioned. Um, I'm a counselor educator. I'm a board certified clinical licensed mental health counselor. 
um, a speaker. Um, and I've been doing this work for about 20 years and I've been in serving in the mental health capacity in various capacities, um, private practice. I'm having my own um, small private practice. Also working in the college setting and also school-based mental health counseling, which I thoroughly enjoyed going into the schools and working with adolescents um, and teens and also um, in-home counseling where I would work and go into the homes and work with families. And so um, I had the opportunity to um, do research looking at um, the intersection of race, domestic violence, um, and the role of faith and how that impacts the decision leaving process for, for black women. Um, I've done a lot of work in the black community and because of that, I identify as a black woman and I am a Christian and that is a very salient part of my identity. I wanted really to look at um, the role of faith uh, because I grew up um, in a, a religious home, a Christian home, and we pray about everything, which is nothing wrong with that, but also learning how some of that was passed down to stay in abusive relationships. And I never really understood why, you know, the messages were just stay, just pray, got to work it out. What were you doing? You know, it's the man's job to be the head of the house. You just need to submit, just work and take care of your children. Make sure you wear something different. Make sure you change how you acted. And I kept saying, this can't be right. You know, you right. see people with bruises and you know, how is that okay? And so um, I began to pray even during my dissertation process because I wanted to look at adolescence mm -hmm. because I have a love for teens. And I said, I wanted to understand how some teens were resilient who witnessed domestic violence and were able to kind of navigate that mm -hmm. um, and not have um, some of these behaviors that we would see and they were labeled as um, ODD, opposition defined disorder. And so I began to kind of understand that um, it's the upbringing, um, the, the amount of trauma that they have experienced, and also um, some of those protective factors, right, that impacts how they kind of, how that kind of manifests in their adult life. And during that process, I said, okay, God, I'm going to spend a year or so researching what is it you want me to do? Because it would be difficult to kind of research adolescence and then get consent forms from parents and kind of navigate that, the interview protocol. So I said, okay. Right. And he led to me to look at Black women, look at faith, look at, you know, that intersection in race. So that's where I am. I do a lot of community work. I um, do a lot of um, my Instagram and my community involvement serving a profession is like raising awareness, um, especially in the faith community because it's a taboo subject. And I also write um, when I have a chance and engage in scholarly writing. I also teach and have the opportunity to train um, counselors and training and how to work and, and counsel in various settings. So, yeah. Just doing a little bit. Just, just, just a doing little a little bit. bit trying, <laughs> just, little, just a little bit. Trying to let my work glorify God. But, yeah, know, I... I love all of this so much and I admire everything that you're doing and um, your heart for everything that you're doing. And I definitely, you said so many important things that we definitely are going to expound on more here. And that is definitely some of the stigma that takes place around domestic violence in faith communities. That's something, a lot of the things that you mentioned are things that I heard kind of this black and white thinking of, okay, well, as long as there's not adultery, 
then which is quote unquote the only exclusion for divorce or right. separation then you know you stay you be an ex example to your spouse and they'll be changed by your example that scripture you know um and then as well like you mentioned the effects that it has on children who are witnesses of domestic violence those are all things we definitely want to get into but before we move forward I'd like to clarify and provide listeners with an overview of what domestic violence is and some of those terms. Right. Uh, so, for sure. Yeah. So I use the word domestic violence because it is the most common term in the Black community where I do a lot of my advocacy work and raising awareness. Um, but the term um, intimate partner violence or gender-based violence is an umbrella term to describe various forms of um, violence against women and girls and boys, right? Very inclusive, why we have the gender base, it's more inclusive. But what that term really means is a pattern of behaviors when uh, one intimate partner tries to maintain power and control over another partner. And so it's so important in the black community, we know domestic violence. And that was the term that I used for my research because we could identify with that term. But the key takeaway is the patterns of behavior that one intimate partner is maintaining and using to try to maintain power and control over another person. Yeah, what? and I'm just curious, what are some of the typical behaviors that they use to keep you know their spouse in control or the manipulations yeah. or you know yeah. all of that yeah so that's a great segue what does that look like so we yeah. know it's this pattern of behaviors and i think it's so important because a lot of times people don't know the clients that i'm serving and when i do my assessments i say it sounds like what you experience is a form of um abusive relationship that's like oh dr brown no i don't want to call it that you know and so i begin to talk about what does that look like so there's the manipulation there's the isolation there's a financial abuse. That means when you work and you're bringing home your paycheck or you don't have access to it, um, you, don't you don't have access to your checking account. Um, it is sexual abuse. It is spiritual abuse, which I hope that we can talk about that today a little bit more. Um, it is psychological abuse. And it is a lot of forms that we see. Um, it is social media. Um, I would say, uh, what is the word? Um, cyberbullying and cyber abuse and digital abuse as well. And these are all forms of domestic violence. These are the tactics that the partner is using to maintain power and control. So I'm glad that you asked, what does that look like? Well, for example, you want to go hang with your friends and your partner say, no, you can't do that or why are you always doing that or you know this idea of you know you trying to voice your concerns and minimizing you or um making um degrading comments a lot of jealousy and so it's you know we have the physical abuse a lot of times think oh well it's okay because they're not hitting me right right, right exactly a lot of my clients will say well it's not that bad you know they're not hitting me um, but, you know, we're talking, let's talk more about the invisible wounds, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. wounds that we do not see. And that's that psychological abuse, that manipulation, that control, and it gets you kind of caught up. And um, that that is just 10 times as worse as physical abuse. I mean, you have a scar, um, you go to the doctor and it heals, take some Tylenol, ice, and it may get better, you know, um, depends on the depth and magnitude of the physical abuse. But when we begin talking about invisible wounds, mm -hmm. losing your voice, because yeah. you have been just um, 
just repeatedly psychologically um, damaged. It's like you don't have a voice. It really impacts your brain, your development. No wonder you don't speak up. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing. But I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has Groupinar sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify, and you can apply for financial aid during the sign-up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, there's this conditioning and I'm so glad that you mentioned all that because it's such a slippery slope when you when you're in it because it's your only reality at the moment and you don't really know anything outside of that. And so it becomes your norm after a while and so much so that you can't that the lines are so are blurred between right. love and protection and uh, obsession even and um and domestic violence and this actually leads me to another question, which is what is the cycle of abuse? Because I think that that can help bring awareness that, okay, it's happening all over again. You know, there's kind of that like honeymoon stage and then it's happening all over again. And then they're being nice to you again. And people Mm -hmm. think, oh no, it's working because they're being nice to me, but it's 
part of a cycle. Well, that right. was, you can describe that much better than I just did. So, so, so we have this cycle of abuse and, yeah. and for, for scholars who've been doing this work and what we understand that that continues to change, but there's a lot of things, the, the victim is not putting themselves in this cycle of abuse. Right. Not by choice. Okay. So this is not the victim cycle. This is what the perpetrator is doing. Domestic violence, I come from the lens that domestic violence is a voice, is a choice. Excuse me, it's a choice. You're choosing to abuse someone. It is not a form of mental illness. I want that to be clear. Right. They are choosing this particular behavior. And so what you will see that sometimes when a person meets someone, they may not, a lot of times in my work, a client may say, gosh, I did not um, see this in the beginning. They begin to beat themselves up. Because abusers and perpetrators can be very charming, very manipulative, very deceptive. And they come off very caring and very loving. Um, and depending on where you are um, in your own life and your healing, um, that may feel good. Um, and you may not be able to identify some of the red flags, right? And so it starts say, out as this honeymoon stage. Right. Sorry, mm -hmm. I was just going to say protective was yeah. a big one. I know a lot of women who are going through really hard time or they're struggling or they don't have any other support really or strong support from their family or maybe friends. And then this guy comes in and he's very protective and that feels securing and that's yeah. very deceiving too. Right. And I think sometimes, and thank you for bringing that up, Brittany, yeah. I think where we are in our own space depends on if we're very vulnerable. Yeah. Um, like you were saying uh, that this feels good. I like that he's protective and he takes me out and tells me nice things and um, wants me all for himself. I haven't right. experienced that. Right. When we begin to think about where were you in that stage of identifying me and this partner? Um, if you kind of reflect back, but this is a part we're thinking of the honeymoon stage where everything is all honeymoon and, and happy go lucky. And then, you know, some things begin to, to, um, change. And um, then you have this tension phase. Um, and then you have this um, explosive stage, right? And then it circle right back around. And it, and it happens all over again. And so depends on when you meet someone or um, especially for um, people always get asked, how do I help somebody? You know, they can't see that they're in this, right? So you may be with someone or have somebody that you're concerned about who may be in the honeymoon phase or maybe in the tension building stage and begin to say, Brittany, well, I noticed this. And um, they may throw something um, or when I'm, I'm trying to voice my concern, they're talking over me or they're dismissing my feelings and, and trying to blame me for things that are happening. So they're in that tension building phase and yeah. cycle where certain things are beginning to, the tension is building and then you have this explosive phase where they are um, verbally or physically abusive, right? And then it dies down and then it starts all over again. And so you would say, well, you know, especially in the explosive stage, if no one has hit me, I'm okay. It right. was just a huge argument. Right. And sometimes we just, we verbally fight and yell at each other. Like and that's okay. Like we were saying, it becomes that norm. It's it like, oh, but they don't, but they didn't hit me. And the next thing you know, it's over. And um, and then they're promising things again, or let's do this like we used to, or whatever it is to make you feel good again. Like, oh, you know, they've changed. Right. right. That cycle just becomes so normal. It's like, yeah, we fight, but. And, and right. And it becomes so normal. Then it also becomes where the perpetrator will say, well, I'm sorry. 
And so the next time, you know, just don't do this, right? Then you begin, the survivor begins to think it's their fault. Well, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have yelled at the kids if you would have told them to pick up their toys, or I wouldn't have hit you if you had just, you know, um, known that I had a bad day and I told you I had a bad day, a bad day earlier. And I wouldn't have taken that on on you if you would have just given me some space, like somehow putting all of the blame on the victim when it's not the victim's fault. And so they can get caught up in that cycle of thinking, I got to change my behavior or, you know, I should have done this or I do this the next time you tell your kids, okay, daddy's coming home or this is what we're going to do. You know, just take a break or I'm going to take the kids over to a family member's house because we're kind of in a stage right now where I don't want to do anything to cause him to become explosive. Right. And living on that. We're creating the change. Yeah. We're changing ourselves. I was going to say, like, in living on that constant edge, just hearing you describe all of this and in that constant state of anxiety, and this is probably another topic about how holding that chronic stress and anxiety actually just breaks down our physical health and undercurrents a lot of diseases. Um, But that's a whole other topic. No, but but that's why it's so important. It is so important. um, Even as clinicians, when we're doing our assessment, we're asking about, um, trauma and witnessing domestic violence or experiencing times in your relationship where you haven't felt safe, right? And asking those questions or unexplained illnesses. And I have this pain, I can't quite figure out. Um, and my research participants, participants, and you hear pretty common theme among victims is that I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. Yeah. That's what it's like. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. I gotta do this. I'm not really sure to do this. If I do this, so it's this constant state of um, anxiety. Yeah, and like constantly yeah. managing your environment, um, damaging your psyche, damaging your brain, damaging and causing all sorts of internal breakdown in your um, breakdown in your cells and replenishing. You're not sleeping well, and yeah, your cortisol I'm, levels are up and everything. Yeah, I'm so glad that we're talking about this because. Uh, like we were saying earlier, it's so hard to see all these things. And when it's become normalized, um, you just think, oh, this is just how I live. This is just our lives. But I think bringing all of this to light hopefully will help those who are listening kind of question more of those assumed norms. Um, but switching over now into the faith side of things, that's what I love so much about you is that you also do things from a faith informed background. Uh, what does the role of faith and spirituality play for women experiencing domestic violence? I know we mentioned some of the stigmas earlier, the messages that we get that are further harmful. Um, but what are some things that you found or you've come across where they um yeah, so the role the role of faith um, is huge. It's a um, just like thinking about um, who I am as a spiritual being. We are all spiritual beings, and so as the role of faith as it is important to someone's diet, um, nutrition depends on their religious practice. It's the same as it is for should I not or how do I navigate this this relationship or this marriage. So it is significantly important for religious leaders and um, advocates to have um, a utilize a faith informed approach. This is about culture competence, right? And so the more informed and compassionate a religious leader 
is, the more they can better be prepared to help someone in that relationship, the more informed they can understand my role, that they are seeking my guidance because their faith is so important to them. And a lot of times what we're finding is that, you know, victims are saying, um, if I leave this relationship or if I leave my marriage, is God going to hate me? And so they're trying to kind of reconcile, you know, it's, it's, it's a crisis already in the relationship then it can also be a spiritual crisis as well because they are now taking on um, their logical independence and um, frameworks and thinking, um, what does this say about me as a Christian mm-hmm. or as a Muslim, right? So, because I've worked with people of all faiths right. who have experienced domestic violence and they said, well, I'm not really sure this is um, how what my faith says about the or my parents are practicing this religion and they are requiring me to stay married and 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 so they're trying to figure out i don't want to practice this faith anymore because it is really killing me internally and it doesn't align with who i am trying to be as a a woman or or as a male or i mean because if you know domestic violence just like cancer it cancer it doesn't impact your religious affiliation, your gender, any of that. It can happen to anyone. Right. Heterosexual, same sex, cisgender, all that. No one is exempt. Just like cancer. No one is exempt from cancer. No one is exempt from intimate partner violence and domestic violence, sexual assault. It can happen to anyone. And so it is so important that we recognize that people are really kind of trying to figure out, you know, their faith and how that impacts their decision to stay or leave in a relationship in a relationship yeah and, and i do think that the theology that you're surrounded by in these moments are so critical um because like you said it's also you you might have this faith community where your marriage is also such a huge part of that faith community and so maybe you're staying in a situation to keep up appearances or to not even uh to not disappoint the faith community or even the messages that we get that are like do not tear apart what god put together you know yeah, uh, um, like yeah. that or That's again, a great straight way to talk about yeah. little bit about spiritual abuse spiritual trauma yeah um, in my research, I found that all of the participants went, I mean, it's very well known that the church, the black church in particular is a source of empowerment mm-hmm. um, for racial violence, um, for, you know, social justice. I mean, you name it. Right. We are, we are known to, to take a stand. Right. And so that in that same aspect, we are looking for our faith leader to take a stand against domestic violence, but right. we, we aren't quite there yet. You know, we're making strides in mental health. We are beginning to see some more things done about, um, domestic violence, but we have a ways to go. Mm-hmm. And so we think about this, we're thinking about spiritual abuses when either a faith leader or their, their intimate partner is utilizing scriptures as a tool to keep someone in an abusive relationship or abusing their position as a faith leader to maintain power and control over the congregation. It's happening. Mm-hmm. I have had women who have quoted God hates divorce. So what did you go? What happened? You know, what God, what man put together, let no man put asunder. You know, Moses wrote the law on marriage. And so they felt like, oh my God, Moses wrote the law on marriage that, you know, my husband said this, or a first lady said this, there's no way I can leave my husband. 
because the scripture and the Bible says this, and I just feel like I would be going against God's word. And so we need our faith leaders to use the scriptures to empower mm -hmm. victims. We need faith leaders to learn more about domestic violence. We need faith leaders to examine their own faith and their, their biases and what they know about domestic violence get training. If you don't have it, hire someone like myself to come in and train your church leaders. Yes. But it's so important to faith leaders to recognize the power that I have, that my parishioners are seeking my guidance first on what to do. And if I'm somehow biased, that telling a woman or man to stay um, in an abusive relationship, I am contributing to more abuse. Mm -hmm. I am inadvertently saying this is okay, or that this is a marriage counseling issue. It is domestic violence is not a marriage counseling issue. Right. Thank you so much for saying all of that, because it's all about the context that we take. It's kind of that saying like a person with a hammer is going to see everything as a nail. So you're going to find whatever you want to find in the Bible that's going to align with even some of those toxic beliefs. Um, and I think any time that we have a theology that is siding with the perpetrator and dismissing the victim is a toxic theology. It's not a whole theology. It is not encapsulating the full uh, heart of God when we talk about speaking up for the voiceless and protecting the helpless, you know, um, and so for someone who's listening who maybe is in that type of situation where they are at a church or they're in a relationship where their faith is a key element of what is keeping them. They have maybe a lot of shame and stigma about staying um, because of whatever doctrine they've heard or theology they've adopted. What would you say to that person who is on the fence about what to do in their, you know, verbally, physically, emotionally, whatever abusive, sexually abusive situation and their faith is kind of getting in the way. I would say one, if anybody is there listening, who's trying to um, navigate their faith and spirituality about what to do um, in their church and their leaders, so important to them. And, but in their side and in the inside, they're saying something is not right. First, I want you to know you are not alone. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want you to know there is, this is not your fault. You did nothing to cause the abuse. Um, I am encouraging, I want to do my work more to raise awareness so that we can hold perpetrators accountable. The faith community has to hold faith leaders accountable. You know, men in the church who are doing it, women in the church as well, who are abusing their partners. First, we have to hold them accountable. Then we have to know what the Bible says in itself about marriage and abuse, right? So you have to know the scripture for yourself. And then it's important to connect with like-minded people mm -hmm. who understand domestic violence and who will use scriptures to offer you hope and healing and encouragement, right? Um, that you can get out and that God is with you. Um, while all of my research participants went to their faith leaders and they experienced some form of spiritual trauma in which there were um, times that they questioned whether or not their relationship, would I not, do I believe in God now? You know, so that's the, the, the spiritual trauma part of it. Right. They began to question, I don't know if I want a relationship with God anymore because my pastor told me to stay in this abusive relationship. Right. So that becomes a spiritual trauma, right? And so when we want to look at it, that in this aspect of um, the emotional side of it, that you just heard from your faith leader, but finding someone who could provide encouragement 
support, using the scriptures to give you hope and using faith as a positive and coping strategy that we know it to be. And, you know, all of my participants use prayer. They use their relationship with Christ. They use the Bible to say, God gave me hope to leave. You know, God gave me my relationship with Christ, inspired me to know that he was going to pull me through this. Mm -hmm. And the first step was connecting with like-minded faith believers who knew how to connect me to people that would get me, help me find my own way right? Mm -hmm. And provide the scriptures as a source of empowerment and hope and healing versus something to keep us in bondage. Because we think about that doesn't align to what God's practices and beliefs are, that you remain in bondage and hurt and beat up. How can you serve God that way? You can't show up and it causes a faith crisis, like you said. Right. It makes the first thing that I thought about was, you know, Jesus healing on the Sabbath, you know, and about how, you know, the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus for healing on the Sabbath and because they're not supposed to work on the Sabbath by law. And Jesus is like, you know, I would rather heal this individual yes. um, than keep this person in pain or in bondage or what have you under the law, you know. And so I think that this also relates to the topic of domestic violence where it's like god cares about the individual and yes, the pain that they're in yeah um, and that is a priority for him um and so having this legalistic view of keeping people in pain just just doesn't uh replicate at all what christ demonstrated or his heart and so keeping those types of things in mind right because um, i think it gets confusing because people can script twist scripture in a number of ways right. Right. And I want to get what Jesus actually did. Right. Look at what he did. He provided, he, he died to set us free. Right. And, <laughs> and so not for us to be in bondage and not all, all not all marriages will work out and that's okay. Yeah. We, we have to accept that as well, that how this marriage, this relationship develop, you know, um, if, if, if now that you have insight about healthy relationships and tenants and signs of unhealthy and abusive, if you begin to see that, then yes, let's take some steps, work with an advocate, work yeah. with someone who is well-trained to help you to yeah. find your voice and gain back and feel empowered. Now you can do this on your own and God is going to heal you through that process. And it's important to know that while faith um, can be used as a tool to keep people and victims in bondage, it is a very powerful tool, as we know and seen throughout the Bible, to empower us to live free. Right, right. And I definitely want to circle back in a bit to some of the resources or steps that a person should take who's in that situation. But I quickly wanted to touch on, you know, children of domestic abuse. I know that there are some people who are listening who were probably in households where they were witnesses of domestic abuse, like you mentioned earlier. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about the messages that we internalize when that type of trauma becomes our norm and it becomes our internal script to right. where it also makes us vulnerable to go to slide into other toxic and abusive situations because we believe it's the norm. It's not different than anything we've already seen. And right. uh, and just all those mechanisms that kind of are at work for someone right. who may be in a cycle. Right. So this is so important because it's important to know that the first image of a relationship starts at home and because yeah. I template everything starts at home. If you had parents or if you didn't have parents or if you had someone that raised you, 
right? So your messages of how to interact with people started at home. So if you witness domestic violence, uh, the brain is so powerful where we're talking about a trauma. So even if you don't have that direct experience in the form of a trauma, we're talking about witnessing where that also threatened your emotional and physical safety, um, that's a trauma as well. And so with that trauma, it really impacts our brain development. It changes how we and how then later, if we're not addressing it, um, then it kind of looks at now, how is that trauma manifesting for me as an adult? Yeah. Um, why am I shutting down? Um, why am I, why do, why do I um, struggle with communicating my needs? Mm-hmm. Um, why I sometimes attend to attach to people who are not emotionally available? Um, why do I find myself in the cycle of getting in the same type of relationships, right? And so for one, um, witnessing domestic violence is a contributing factor um, for um, us experiencing or maybe perhaps um, getting in in that same type of relationship or um, becoming the perpetrator. Right. It is a contributing factor that we will most likely get into an abusive relationship or become a perpetrator. And the reason why is that we don't know what healthy relationships looks like. And so that's why it is so important that we really focus on healthy relationships, especially because between the ages of 11 and 17 are the highest rate of people who experience domestic violence to teens. They don't know what a relationship looks like. And then if they're witnessing domestic violence, then that's another risk factor. And then, you know, it depends on how early they experience that childhood trauma that becomes a third risk factor as well. And so the earlier that we can address the trauma, Okay, so we have to name it. Okay, and we have to feel what we feel. So at no fault of your own that you have witnessed domestic violence, anybody who's witnessed it. But once you begin to become aware of it, then you are responsible for your own healing. Yes, thank you so much for laying that out, because it, again, can be a slippery slope where you just found yourself somehow in this relationship. And then you look back and you're like, why did I you know, why did I choose this, you know? Um, And there's that pull to the familiar, um, to what's familiar. And so I always say like, what your ideal is, like that's, that's your ideal, like what you want, that's your ideal, but what you keep choosing is your tendency. Like that's your norm, that's your habit. And I think that for some of us, when we recognize that, maybe sometimes it comes later on in life as we get to know ourselves more and reflect on our past and go, oh, wait, I keep picking what's familiar. Then having that awareness allows us to begin to heal. And speaking of healing, uh, you know, kind of one of my last questions are if someone's listening now who is stuck in a domestic violence situation um, or knows someone who is and needs help, what are some resources you suggest they turn to or some steps that you suggest they take in the beginning, which can be very scary because you're still stepping into the unknown. Um, So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So, um, Brittany, I would say for anyone who is in this situation um, to know that you're not alone um, and that help is available. Um, Don't lose hope. Um, It is important if you are in this situation, um, talk with an advocate and wherever you're located in your state, um, connecting with your your state coalition um, or an agency to help you with safety planning. One of the most dangerous times for victims is when they are trying to leave. 
So it is so important to plan your exit strategy with a trained advocate, okay? You can't, don't think about doing this work by yourself, um, knowing that you're not alone. So the first thing is just thinking about if you're ready to do that, then talk with a trained advocate. Um, connected with a faith leader who understands domestic violence. It's, if faith is important to you and you want a group of prayer partners and connecting with those folks who are also going to connect you to an advocate or to an agency or to a shelter, right? Thinking about your safety. Uh, if you are concerned about someone in this situation and you're not quite sure how to help them, then you can always say to them, I'm concerned about your well-being. I love you. I have seen some things. Um, and I'm not sure if you are aware of it, but I want to share that there's an 800 number. Um, I am willing to um, go with you to the agency or I'm willing to help you look through um, um, resources online, the national hotline. But it's about partnering with them. OK, we don't want to go in and go with. Oh, I want you to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. I've seen this because they're already in a controller situation. So they're trying to find their voice. So it's important to partner with them and ask, how can I support you? Perhaps I can watch your kids while you look for some resources or what can I do to walk with you on this journey? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, it's important to lead with love, listen with love, yeah. right? Lead and listen with love and all of our actions. We can't go wrong. Um, we can't make this about ourselves that oh, I'm just so tired of this. I don't know why they did that, did this and they oh, can't Lord. get out. Yes. Do what you can to learn about domestic violence. Take an advocate's class or something to understand. This domestic violence is very complex. It is not black and white. There are so many factors, especially when you're talking about children and why is she staying? We need to go back to reframing this. Why did they hit her? Why are they controlling her? It's never the victim's fault. In any circumstance, it is never the victim's fault. We have to hold perpetrators and abusers accountable. Thank you so much for clarifying that so, so much because I have seen that. I have heard that a lot where people become very critical about why a person is staying and they need to get out and they're tired of hearing about this or whatever it is. And um, like you said, there's so many factors or especially if the abuser is the primary financial uh, yeah. provider and that's their livelihood. Like there's so many reasons that make it hard to leave. And so uh, I love leading with love. Um, always, always leading with love. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Brittany. <laughs> yeah. So much of this. I am so glad we had this conversation. We will definitely have to have more like it. This is so important. Again, not just physical abuse, even though that's important, but also the physical, the psychological and the emotional. Yeah, impact. perhaps we can talk more in October for DV Awareness Month. Um, but what I will send you the link to the power and control will so we can share okay. as a resource for victims. And a lot of times as a clinician, people don't realize they're in that situation until they see the will. I love that wheel, not for what's happening, but it's just so clarifying when you see it. Yeah, you know? when you see it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, this happens. This is happening. Wow. And they may take several sessions and it may take them a while to accept I'm in an abusive situation. Yes. That was the other thing I was going to mention is because a lot of times people won't talk about it or share it with friends or share it with the faith community because they feel shameful, because they feel like... Uh, how did I end up in this situation or don't want to seem like a victim um, mm -hmm. or whatever it is. But it, like you said, it's so important to let the light in. 
let other people in, get yeah. out sooner than later because the yeah. longer it is, the harder it is to get out. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's the stigma attached to it. And I wholeheartedly believe that I do not, you know, believe that um, majority of the faith leaders, they just don't know. They don't have this training. And yeah. so that's why it's important. Um, I think that there are quite a few. There are plenty of them that want women free. And there are plenty of them who are speaking out that this is not right. And we just need more to jump on the bandwagon and call them out. This is wrong. This yeah. is need more to do that. That could because it's so important to us. And we want people to know that God doesn't desire for you to be beaten up. Mm -mm. Just to be married or to be in a relationship. He loves us too much for that. Yeah, you as the individual, not just your institution as a marriage, but also you as the individual in the marriage. And I guess for one last thing, for the person who just feels like they're going to be judged by bringing it up to a friend, and so that's kind of holding them back, is preserving that image and not wanting to be judged um, or shamed, or maybe they feel ashamed, or maybe they feel stupid for staying in the situation and they know they shouldn't and they are judging themselves um is are there any final words you would give for that person to kind of reach out in spite of that or what yeah the judgment the guilt all that is on the release it to the abuser where it got where it belongs there you go the judgment the, the guilt the shame that's on the abuser we have to release that and that's a process and perhaps we can talk about reconciliation the art of forgiving um, and forgiveness is more about the victim, you know, it's for you, it's, it's, it's about your freedom. And so the guilt that we carry for staying in, oh, I'm so guilty, I should have gotten out later, we beat ourselves up. So it's important to allow yourself some grace and some compassion, even if you witnessed it and now you're connecting. Yeah, I did witness it and I didn't know. Allow yourself some grace. God wants us to allow us some grace and compassion that I didn't know, now mm -hmm. I know. And that God is going to help me to heal. Amen. He's going to help you. So release all of that to where it belongs, out in the atmosphere, but not on you. Amen. And we are going to link all of those resources in the show notes around domestic violence and hotlines and all that all that stuff. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, Dr. Brittany. I'm going to keep saying that. Glory. Thank you. Yeah, Dr. Brittany. That's going to yeah. keep me going through. Yes, school. absolutely. I'm here to support you, sis, whatever you need. God. Yeah, you cannot do this work alone, but you, Dr. Brittany is in making. Yeah. It's in the making. And for those who want to stay connected with you and the work that you're doing, where's the best place for them to follow you? Follow me on Instagram under Dr. Shanita Brown, on Twitter, Dr. Shanita Brown, Facebook, Dr. Shanita Brown. And my website is um, www.dshanitabrown as well. That keeps it all consistent. Keep it we're going to have it. We're going to have all those in the show notes as well. So be sure to follow along with her work. Be sure to spread the word and be sure that, and also closing, um, try to be a safe place. Uh, commit yourself to being a safe place yeah. for for these situations. So right. we want to be a safe space. Um, yeah, offer some some comfort and support. Amen. Well, thank you guys for listening. <laughs> Until next time.